to express yourself where teens talk and the world listens presented by star style productions as an international outreach program of be the star you are charity you'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters meet and chat with cool celebrities exhilarating experts and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know it's time to kick off the fun with our star teens welcome to express yourself For today's show, I think it would be best to start off with a beautiful quote by Buddha. The secret of health for both mind and body is not to mourn for the past, worry about the future, or anticipate troubles, but to live in the present moment wisely and earnestly. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We are a program by, for, and with creative young people a platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by Guide Star and great nonprofits. I'm Siri Panindra, and today's show is all about wellness. It's been a rough year, to say the least, and just like you, we are touched by the sadness, loss, outrage, and grief of 2020. We're thankful for the moments of selflessness, bravery, kindness, humor, hope, and compassion. And we're really hopeful that our world will heal and that global vaccinations will allow us to once again come together. Express Yourself and Be The Star You Are will be here with you, ready to put a pin in 2020 and hold hope, optimism, and peace in our hearts for the new year. Be The Star You Are wants to thank everyone who has volunteered and supported Be The Star You Are over the years. We are thrilled to be serving the world. And if you'd like to help us celebrate being a top nonprofit with a donation, please visit btsya.org. Every dollar counts and we will use the funds for our outreach programs. So be sure to listen to Express Yourself wherever you listen to the radio or on many musical platforms including iTunes, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and many more. We broadcast from the Empowerment Channel on Voice America Radio the largest radio network in the world. Today, we have a fantastic show planned for you, all about wellness. And in segment two, I'll be interviewing Cheryl Delasega. And in segment three, I will be reading Cynthia Bryan's chapter on the gift of health. And in this segment, I will be talking about meditation. So let's get started. With the fast pace and demands of life, I feel that many people are stressed. It feels like there's simply not enough time in the day to breathe or, you know, stress can even negatively affect our health. And a solution to that problem that my family and I both use 
is meditation, which involves focusing on the breath or on a word or a phrase known as a mantra. And in other words, meditation turns one's attention away from all the distracting thoughts and rather focuses on the present moment where we should be. So let's kind of move on to the method of meditation. So when we practice meditation, we need to find and sit in a comfortable posture in a quiet environment. And I love um, sitting outside in nature or playing some calm music. So when we have settled down comfortably, we tend to lose control of our mind and become aware of the thoughts and distractions. Rather, we should turn our attention to our breath and feel ourselves slowly exhaling and inhaling. And by focusing on your breathing, you're basically disengaging and controlling your mind. And even a short amount in our 24-hour day, such as 15 to 30 minutes, has its benefits. And over time, we will realize that our minds becoming more peaceful and we will experience true bliss and true happiness without external reasons or entertainment. Meditation provides us with this true inner happiness and it'll cause us to have a more peaceful state of mind, regardless of the stressful circumstances of our everyday life and work. And I recommend daily meditation because it's like food for the soul or fuel for our car. <laughs> um, and as we need food for the body every day, we need to feed our soul and we need the inner peace and we need the balance for our mind. I personally have made it a habit to meditate early in the morning for at least 10 to 15 minutes. And I feel it always starts my day on the right foot. And I also regularly, I do it with my mother, who is trained in several courses of meditation. So you might be wondering, how was I exposed to meditation in the first place? Well, let me tell you a little bit about a guru that I look up to, Sadhguru, and he's actually a mystic. And a couple of years ago, I attended his three-day inner engineering session, uh, which is basically a spiritual retreat that gives people a new way of perception when coming to face opportunities, problems, or anything in life. And it really gave me a new perspective and new way of looking at the world. And inner engineering is a set of techniques that helps us understand ourselves and turn inwards to find the balance and the peace within. And we have many senses to understand the outer world, like touch, seeing, feeling, etc. But we do not have the perceptors to understand our own selves, and inner engineering is one of the ways to understand our inner selves. And the gist I learned is that I need to fix myself first in order to fix any outer problem. And for all of the problems we face outside in the world, the joy lies within us and we have the decision to be happy or miserable. So let me tell you a little bit about the science behind meditation. Meditation can actually change the brain. It can change the structure. And here are a few studies that show that meditation produces distinct changes in our most important organ, which is not the heart, but it's the brain. So according to a 2011 Harvard study, 
After eight weeks of training in mindful attention meditation, the cortical thickness in the hippocampus increased. Um, and the hippocampus is known for controlling uh, memory and learning. So the brain cell volume in the amygdala decreased, and the amygdala is responsible for fear, anxiety, and stress, indicating that meditation not only changes the brain, but it changes our state of mind as well, which is very important during stressful times. And the participants who practice meditation for 15 to 30 minutes per day, they promoted caring behaviors for oneself and others. Meditation also helps preserve the aging brain and people who have been meditating for years, they had more gray matter volume in their brains compared to the average non-meditator. So, you know, this can be overwhelming information and it can be a little hard at first to motivate yourself. And I experienced that uh, because, you know, we try to prioritize other things that give us instant gratification. Um, but it is very easy for the mind to get carried away with all of these materialistic pleasures, such as electronic gadgets or, so or social media. But once you feel your life transforming, meditating will simply be a way of life. Well, thank you so much for listening to my segment about meditation, and I hope it inspires you to go and meditate today. But unfortunately, we are out of time for this segment. Listeners, please show your love for more segments by donating to the BTSYA 501c3 literacy charity that brings you this program at bethestarur.org. Keep listening for more as we interview Cheryl Dallasega in the next segment. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and entertained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen for our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be The Star You Are, with our host, Cynthia Bryan. Then on Sundays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, Teens Talk and the World Listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Play with with us at be the star you are radio.com and the voice america empowerment channel show the world your smile be the star you are if you are ready to be inspired energized and edutained you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at be the star you are radio.com 
live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryant and Heather Brittany. On Tuesdays at noon Pacific, teens talk and the world listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio on Voice America Kids. Come play with us at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Thanks for staying with us here at Express Yourself on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Today we have with us Dr. Cheryl Dallasega, who has been recognized internationally for her work on relational aggression and many other issues impacting adolescent girls. She's the author of seven books, and her third book, The Starving Family, won an ASJA Honorable Mention and Family Circle Award. Dr. Dalasega's writing, teaching, and educational resources offers state-of-the-art information and advice about female-to-female relationships. And as the founder of Club and Camp Ophelia, she has helped adolescent girls confront and overcome relational aggression in a variety of settings. As a professor of humanities in the College of Medicine at the Pennsylvania State University, Dr. Delasega teaches medical students and conducts a lot of research on vulnerable populations. And she has been named a distinguished alumni of Millersville University in 1992. Hi, Cheryl. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Siri. That was a very nice introduction. Yeah. And you go by Cheryl on your book. So can I call you by Cheryl or Dr. Cheryl? Cheryl is fine. All right. Sounds good. Perfect. So let's get started. Um, In the introduction, I talked about relational aggression. So for our audience, can you please define that term and, you know, what the difference is between that and bullying? Yes. And I think that's an important way to start because I really have tried to shift all of my work over um, recently into a focus more on relational aggression and getting people to understand that these are specific behaviors that I've studied and have been identified to me by women and girls as being harmful in both verbal, emotional, spiritual kinds of ways. Whereas bullying is sort of this vague, you know, it means one thing to one person, it means something to someone else, and it can also be just a really bad label to call somebody a bully that doesn't tend to go away. So I prefer talking about relational aggression or RA because these are behaviors that can be changed. Yes, thank you so much for addressing that. So how does this toxic nursing connect to your other nonfiction books? I've been on kind of trajectory. My first book was about um, mothers helping adolescent daughters get through adolescence. And then I went from there to Girl Wars, which was about, you know, this this uh, 
relationship war that girls can sometimes get into. And then things just kind of led to another book after that on adult women and then families. And finally, um, I was asked, because I'm a nurse practitioner as well as a PhD, I was asked to write a book about nurses and how this played out with within the nursing profession. So that's how this this book and um, my first book for nurses came to be. Yeah. So can you tell us, do adults, they, uh, do adults use relational aggression in the same way as younger people? And how does age play a role in that? It seems to me from my work that there's this time in middle school and perhaps early high school where girls' bodies are changing, their identities are changing, their lives are changing. And it seems like RA behaviors can really crest at that time because of so many things going on. Sometimes the conflict and the tension a girl can be feeling goes outward towards friends instead of being resolved in a more healthy manner. I think once girls realize the damage of this behavior, most of them will go on and not use them as adults, or at least not use them as extensively. But there are some people who get caught in this, what I call an RA rut, where it's really the only way they know how to interact. So let me give you an example. Someone who likes to gossip, for example, we don't think of gossip as harmful, but it really is because when you tell a story about someone to someone else behind their back, it can get back to them and be very hurtful. It can be very harmful. It can turn into a, you know, a rumor that takes over the entire school or organization. And so it's one of the RA behaviors that I include on that list. If you start as a young girl being known as kind of the gossip girl and the one who's always on top of these stories and spreading stories and manipulating stories, you may tend to go into adulthood using that same behavior to try and get along, but people are going to be less forgiving of you. So you can really get stuck, and that's why I really try and work with adolescent girls on having healthy relationship skills. Yeah, thank you for doing that. That's a really meaningful purpose. and. I'm sure many girls um, really need help in that, um, you know, especially self-confidence and just gossiping is, I definitely agree, it's something that's negative to yourself and negative to others as well. So is, you know, relational aggression um, more common in girls or women? I would say girls because it's a new kind of behavior. I mean, when you think about it, Young girls usually play pretty well together, and they're excited and happy, and girls play in very different ways than boys do. We know this from research. And so there, there's a compatibility that goes along, and then suddenly things change. And so it hits girls really hard. Suddenly you're not friends with the same group as you were before, or suddenly somebody shares a secret that you ask them not to share, and it's all over the school, and you've been betrayed by a, someone that you thought was a really good friend. When you are a girl and you experience that, you get through it and you learn to cope with it. So if it happens again as an adult woman, you tend to cope with it a little bit better. And also, you may be a little bit more prepared to resolve it with the individual who started the behavior. Let's say somebody shared a confidence. So as a girl, you know, you just cringe and don't know what to do and feel betrayed and feel upset. And sometimes it can start a whole friendship war. But as an adult woman, you might have gone through this before, and you might be more accomplished and ready to say to someone, hey, what was going on when 
you shared this secret with so-and-so, I thought I made it pretty clear that I didn't want it to be, you know, I wanted it to be confidential. So I think that there's that change. It doesn't quite um, get to the heart of a woman in the same way as it might a young girl. Mm, Yeah, that's a good point. I guess, you know, with time comes more experience and you kind of understand how to um, react to such behaviors. So um, can you give us some examples of more RA or relational aggression behaviors that that you find commonly um, in girls and women? Sure. Well, the one I hear the most about, and I think it's kind of evolved because of maybe the media and how things have been over the last decade in terms of saying something really cruel to someone and then pretending it was a joke. And I know this this goes on like throughout the lifespan, but in particular, I call them take backs. So someone might say to a girl, you know, oh, wow, you got a, a new haircut. It looks really terrible. And then when that girl looks hurt or crushed, the, the first person will say, hey, I'm just kidding. It's a joke. Can't you take take a joke. And then you're expected to actually laugh at something mean that's been said about you. So it's like a double hurt. And those kinds of things, they get a little more sophisticated in adulthood, but it can still be these kinds of um, negative things that are couched as a joke or that something, you know, that somebody was just kidding about and you should laugh and go along with the joke. So that's one of the big ones I hear. Um, I mentioned gossip, and we have a gossip test that I put in all of my books because both women and girls have told me they use it, and that's to ask yourself before you share something, do I know for a fact that this is absolutely true? Would I say it if this person was sitting next to me? And what's the purpose of sharing it? Is it going to make something better for someone? So asking those three questions can really stymie gossiping and help people to uh, communicate in a more positive way. I think there's a lot of um, RA going on through social media as well, and almost any behavior you can do face-to-face, be it gossip, be it a take-back, be it a humiliation, be it a manipulation, you can do it online in various platforms now, too. Oh, yes, and that's really terrible. You know, I have also seen that. I was just kidding um, many times as well, so... Yeah, it's definitely frequent. So, you know, you kind of talked about social media, and can you elaborate more? Does social media play a role in relational aggression? I think it plays a huge role, and I'm seeing with girls in clubophilia, I go once a year and give a talk, or once a semester and give a talk about social media, and I'm seeing that more and more girls are being affected by what they see online, what they hear online, and the kinds of um, comments made to them online. And sometimes the problem becomes that you don't know who's saying it. You don't know who's saying what because you don't know everybody's screen name. You don't know them personally. You may never have met them face-to-face. So when they say something negative to you, it's scary as well as hurtful because you don't know who they really are. And the other problem is that Social media is 24-7. So at school, if somebody says something or does something at work, if somebody is disrespectful or rude to you, you can go home and not have to see them anymore. But with social media, whether you're in a chat room or looking at Instagram or whatever you're doing, it's 24-7. It's constant, and it just doesn't stop once it gets started. We've all seen this with 
you know, the cancel culture and the kinds of things that can happen online with very little provocation. Yeah. And social media, you know, many people go by anonymous usernames and it's really hard to identify people. And actually, um, in my sister's middle school, there is this recent incident where um, this this person was taking over everyone's email accounts and acting like someone else and spreading all these negative messages. And it took quite some time for the school to figure out who the person was. And it's just, yeah, social media, technology, and it's, it's really, you know, I, I don't want to say it, but it's like a really negative platform for people and for young kids to um, use a lot, like every day. Um, would you say that relational aggression is more common in social media than in person? I think there was a big study done by the Girl Scouts a couple of years ago, and girls admitted that they were more likely to be negative when they didn't have to look somebody in the eyes. So I think that there's this whole disinhibition that goes on, and girls feel more free to be negative online because they aren't accountable, right? Like, just like the story you shared about your sister's school, like, you're anonymous, so you can say whatever you want, and nobody will ever find out, you think. (laughs) And as whoever perpetuated the problem that you shared, you know, they they got caught eventually. It might have taken some time, but they got caught, and then there's pretty serious repercussions. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, many, many girls and women and people they have all been victims of relational aggression. And what are some ways that people can deal with that and kind of heal from people's negative words and behaviors? I think that almost all of us have played all three roles in relational aggression. I think we've all been targets of somebody else's cruelty. We've all watched it happen to someone else and not stood up for them or intervened. And we've all had times when we've said things that maybe weren't the kindest that we wish we hadn't said. So I think understanding that from the very beginning, like when someone says something or does something, and it can be really egregious or it can be just somebody, you know, doing a take back or it can be, you know, somebody not inviting you to a party. It can seem small to other people, or it can be a big, ongoing, year-long drama that doesn't ever get resolved. So understanding that people are in all of these roles, and we change roles constantly, and that you don't have to be stuck in that place, that you can, you know, take a sabbatical from a friendship. You can recreate yourself. You can find new friends. It may seem like you don't want to, or that you're all you want are the ones that, you know, have maybe betrayed you. But when you take a step back and look at what you're getting out of a relationship where you're being hurt by others. It's almost like an abusive relationship. So finding like new ways to feel good about yourself and have healthy relationships is a really good starting point. Yeah, definitely. And so let's talk a little bit about your book, Toxic Nursing. So mm-hmm. how do you want your book to help make a tolerant workplace and be compliant for nurses? Well, we know that nurses are the professionals who spend the most time at patients' bedsides. So they're very important to our healthcare system. And yet nursing is a very unusual profession in that it's predominantly female. I think it's 92% female the last I checked. Um, You're in a small confined space for 
all of the work time for the most part. So you can't leave your unit if there's something that happens that's upsetting. You can't just go, you know, off to lunch with a friend or outside for a walk. You have to stay and keep on doing your job most times. So it's got some unusual circumstances, and then you're dealing with life and death. We see that right now. And I've asked people whether COVID has made their relationships with their coworkers more toxic. And in some situations, it has because people are feeling stressed. You can't be upset with patients. You, you know, end up taking it out on your coworkers in ways that are relationally aggressive. And you may not even intend to be hurtful, but the end result is that you are. So I've done a lot of, just like Clebophilia for Girls has a bunch of strategies that I uh, teach on how to cope with relational aggression during adolescence. I worked with a group of nurses, and we came up with some ways to address, it. mostly it's clearer communication, team building, being supportive, being grateful for your colleagues, those kinds of activities so that we can um, overcome the negativity and kind of build a healthy workplace that people want to be in and want to stay in. Yeah, definitely. So we kind of talk from the victim standpoint, but what can a person do if they witness relational aggression happening to someone else? That's a really good question. And I think that in some ways, standing and watching is the worst role because Later on, you think, oh, I should have done something. I had some adult women tell me of a scenario that happened when they were in high school together where another girl was harassed and treated with relational aggression for an entire, a very long time and ended up actually being killed by her tormentor. And they wished so much that they had intervened earlier and stopped and just stood up. So I think that that's an excellent question. I I turn to girls and ask them, what would you do? So here are some of the suggestions that I've been given. Um, Sometimes just saying stop to the person that's being mean, just saying that hurt. That's not nice. Just stop. Sometimes changing the subject, sometimes moving physically closer to the victim and just standing next to them and showing that you're sort of on their side, so to speak. Um, Sometimes writing a note to the victim or texting them or letting them know that you don't agree with what was said, or even afterwards saying to them that that was really uncalled for. I'm sorry that happened. Um, Another thing that has been suggested to be helpful is to go get someone else to intervene. Like if it's in school, it might be a teacher. If it's at work, it might be an employer. So those are just some of the things I, I try and get girls to be thinking of constantly like a toolbox of strategies. So I'm a victim. How can I respond? Here are three things I can do. I'm a witness. I see something happen. How can I intervene? Here are three things I can do. I'm, I'm feeling like I'm a bully. Perhaps I'm using too, much, too many relationally aggressive behaviors. What three things can I do to change? So having kind of flexibility and a bunch of strategies that you can use in any situation is a really great leadership skill that I encourage for both girls and women. Yes, I'll definitely keep that in my toolkit. So good. (laughs) uh, Yeah, just, you know, throwing a little metaphor here. (laughs) So um, a couple of years ago, I took AP psychology and I've heard about this phenomenon where people are less likely to um, kind of intervene and interfere, you know, when someone's being harassed or being a victim, uh, if there are more people around, because people will just think, you know, that person will take care of it or someone else. 
compared to, you know, if you're alone and you're seeing someone being harassed. So have you seen a lot of instances of this phenomenon, I'm curious? Yeah, it's a really good point because a lot of times, and all of us are guilty of this, we see something happen, and whether there's a crowd there or whether it's just three people and something happens, you're reluctant to intervene because you think that you'll be turned on next. So there's that tendency, as you mentioned, to think, well, somebody else will step up, especially in a crowd where there are more people, more eyes, more tension. Um, Or just when you're in a smaller group, being afraid that if you say something to the person who just, you know, said something really mean and then said they were just kidding, that you'll be the one that gets targeted next with a take back. So there's both of those dynamics are going on, but that's a really good point to bring up. Yeah, yeah, that's good to know. So we kind of talked about how the workplace is, you know, really conflicting and uncivil for nurses these days. So would you encourage young people to go into nursing despite how, you know, toxic the nature is? Well, I would say that I've done a lot of work with adult women in other job settings, and I find that there are other places. Teachers, for example, have a high toxicity level because they're under kind of the same situations as nurses in that they're stuck in the same place. They're not able to leave if there's problems, and, you know, there's, there's many parallels. They're not working in life and death situations so much. But so I don't want to make it seem like nurses are uh, terrible people or that it's a bad profession because no, I don't, I would encourage a young person to go into nursing. There's so many different opportunities. Um, it's a great way to explore different specialties. You can go in different directions. You can work in an organization, inpatient, you can work in people's homes. So really the possibilities are unlimited. And I think it's a great career for young people. Yeah, definitely. And I feel, you know, nursing is just one of those careers where you're saving people's lives. And wow, yeah, especially during COVID-19, nurses are honestly our heroes, our healthcare heroes. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So as a professor of humanities in the College of Medicine and professor of women's studies at the Pennsylvania State University, you conduct a lot of research on psychosocial issues. So do you mind sharing some interesting finds that you have found? Sure. Um, Some of my work uh, early on, I became interested in um, women who were incarcerated. I was doing a kind of creative writing group in one of our our county prisons with uh, females who were there. And so I got very interested. That led to kind of like my books, put me on a trajectory of studying women who have ended up in a place where, you know, they made some bad choices. They weren't necessarily bad people, but they ended up in a place that kind of changed their life for the worse. And all of the consequences that often happen when you're incarcerated and women are at more risk because they usually haven't had a job before. So they come out, they've been in prison, they can't get a job. They often have children they're responsible for. They come out, they need childcare. It's not available. So unfortunately, um, there are a lot of negative things that can happen to women. And right now I'm doing a study with some of my students on women who are homeless and kind of how that impacts on health because I've done a fair amount of volunteering in homeless shelters for women. And I see that it, it has a negative impact beyond just being afraid and being without shelter. There are real concrete physical 
um, things that happen to women. So, um, yeah, that's that's a line of study. I've also, I'm also doing a study with a colleague right now looking at um, racism in medicine, not so much physicians and nurses towards patients, but when patients have a physician or a nurse of color and address them in disrespectful ways or in ways that display prejudice or bias. And um, we're just, we've gotten a lot of attention for that because it's kind of a timely study and, and we know that medical students in particular are vulnerable when they're in that learning phase and they they kind of have to, and nursing students too, they kind of have to get support around um, how to respond when that happens. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. I honestly, I didn't know about that before. Wow. Yeah. So thanks for sharing that first of all. And I kind of want to transition a little bit onto your um, club and camp Ophelia. Uh, so, oh, sure. you know, yeah, so you've helped a lot of adolescent girls confront and overcome uh, relational aggression in many settings. So can you talk a little bit about your experience working with these girls? Oh, I've had some great experiences. It's been really just a win-win all around. I've never had anybody. I do evaluate every, or I ask the, after I train the directors, I ask them to evaluate every round of camp and club um, just to see, and it's always a huge success. So the directors are usually school guidance counselors or teachers who are trained in the program, but the real strength of the program is young women who are mentors, and they're assigned, you know, several middle school girls to work with um, on a structured curriculum that I developed. And the girls think that they're doing crafts, for example, but really they're, everything has a therapeutic purpose. It would be like art therapy. We do affirmation boxes. We do social media impact. We do um, role-playing of uh, situations involving relational aggression, and then how I, I call it a replay role-play. How can you turn that around? How could it be better? And these are based on real situations that have happened. And every every club session, their mentor spends some one-on, not one-on-one, one, some close time with her assigned group, just you know, debriefing, how has your week been, what's going on with you these days, that kind of thing. And um, girls really appreciate having that in their lives. Yes, yes. I absolutely love the concept of mentorship. Um, In my high school a couple of years ago, um, we had this mentorship program where we were um, kind of paired up with industry professionals. And it was like a really therapeutic as well as a really beneficial experience to be paired up one-on-one with someone. So what are some other ways teens can get involved within your program? Well, it's pretty much one of those programs that the school has to um, buy into because it it is a standardized curriculum that I developed, which um, is available through my website. And I've used it over the years so many times that I know it's got reliable activities that can help girls develop the special skills that we want them to have. So I think that on an informal basis, maybe organizing something where as a mentor or as an upper class, a junior or senior girl, you might reach out to new girls coming in to ninth grade who are so uncertain and just befriend them. I can't tell you how many times I've seen it work that a young girl who has an older girl from the same school interested in her has just turned her life around her and really gotten through some tough times because that older mentor is there. She's not like an adult, not like a parent, but she's there like a really good 
wise friend who's gone through what you've gone through and can help you now overcome it, or at least be supportive of you while you're going through it. Oh, yeah, that kind of, um, I can kind of relate to that because I was a freshman mentor at my high school's freshman mentorship program. And basically, we had a group of like five teens, um, like five upperclassmen kind of mentoring all of the new freshmen. So I had about 30, 30 freshmen. And I made so many fantastic fr- uh, friendships with them. And, you know, someone came up to me at the last day and she was like, thank you so much. You know, I've been going through a lot of like problems at home and, you know, all of these activities, they were so therapeutic and I just felt like I had someone to talk to. So it's just such a great experience, both being, you know, a mentor as well as the person being mentored. And yeah, I, I love that experience. So I'm you... sure you were fabulous at it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you so much. <laughs> that means a lot coming from you. So, you know, you're the author of seven books, and your third book, The Starving Family, it received the ASJA Honorable Mention and Family Circle Award. So I'm very curious, can you tell the audience a little bit about The Starving Family? Yes. So this this was a book that is really research-based, but written for to be user-friendly. So I did interviews with mothers and fathers of sons and daughters who had eating disorders because... We often don't realize how eating disorders like anorexia, bulimia, and so on impact the entire family. There's such an intense focus on the patient, the person that's struggling with the eating disorder, that sometimes the other children and the parents get overlooked, and they had a lot of needs that needed addressed. So the book was written based on these interviews that I did, just some ideas of sharing experiences. Sometimes just sharing your story can be very powerful and getting kind of affirmation that you didn't do anything wrong, that it's not your fault, your child has an eating disorder. Um, Having the the fathers and mothers come together and recognize that they each had different things that they focused on to try and help their child. The mothers tended to be looking for resources, taking kids to appointments, um, kind of intervening, getting homework and so on, while the dads just worked so that they could pay for insurance and keep for, you know, uh, have income for treatment. And um, also, like, dealing with the siblings, getting them to maintain healthy habits for themselves and not to be kind of, like, inundated with all of the stress around mealtimes and all of the stress in the household that's going on with the other child that is struggling at the moment. So it, it ended up being a much more clinical book, and we made a work. I made a workbook to go with it to kind of help parents as they went through this experience. And from what I've heard, it's it's been a, a beneficial thing. There's not really been anything like it that I know of. Wow, it sounds like a really great resource for parents. Yeah, so unfortunately, Cheryl, we are out of time for this segment, but I want to thank you so much again for all of your insight and for sharing your books, your expertise, your programs, and you know your experiences with these girls and women. And I really love what you're doing. It's, it's really meaningful. So thank you so well, much. It's been everyone. a pleasure. <laughs> yes. Nice to meet you, Siri. Thank you so much, Cheryl. So listeners, for the latest on Dr. Delasega, you can check out our website, um, which is CherylDelasega.com. That is C-H-E-R-Y-L-D-E-L-L-A-S-E-G-A.com. 
please show your love for more segments by donating to the BTSYA 501c3 Literacy Charity that brings you this program at bethestarur.org. And keep listening for more about wellness. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and entertained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen for our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be The Star You Are, with our host, Cynthia Bryan. Then on Sundays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, Teens Talk and the World Listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Play with with us at be the star you are radio.com and the voice america empowerment channel show the world your smile be the star you are if you are ready to be inspired energized and edutained you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at be the star you are radio.com Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. On Tuesdays at noon Pacific, teens talk and the world listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio on Voice America Kids. Come play with us at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back to Express Yourself. This hour is all about wellness, and in this segment, I will be reading The Gift of Health by Cynthia Bryan, a New York Times bestselling author of several books, TV and radio personality and producer, lecturer and enrichment coach specializing in acting, media, speaking, and life success. Cynthia is the founder and executive director of Be The Star You Are 51C3, empowering women, families, and youth through increased literacy, improved positive media messages, and skills for living. So let's get right into it. The Gift of Health by Cynthia Bryan. Everyone agrees that health is better than wealth. So why do most people abuse their bodies and take wellness for granted until they've lost it? 
Since I wrote a chapter on health in my first book of this series, Be the Star You Are, 99 Gifts for Living, Loving, Laughing, and Learning to Make a Difference, several beloved family members, friends, and even colleagues who had endorsed the book have died. Their deaths have caused great grieving in my heart, encouraging me to look closely at how I live on a daily basis. I want to be as healthy as possible for as long as possible. And my goal is to live a long, happy, prosperous, meaningful, and most of all, healthy life. I revisited that chapter written several years ago and realized that what I wrote then is still true for me today. Thus, many of these concepts are ideas I've already proclaimed but feel strongly they need to be renamed and reclaimed in this book from millennials. Diets and health fads had never been a part of my vocabulary. Growing up on the farm, we were very healthy youngsters. We ate the tasty, nourishing food we grew. We worked daily in the fields, which kept our bodies finely tuned. We laughed, played, prayed, talked, shouted, and hugged, reminding us we were a growing, alive family. In those days, the ideas of dieting, stress, or sleep deprivation were not part of my vocabulary. Living a healthful, active, happy lifestyle came naturally and easily. Then I went away to college. No longer did I have fields or gardens to raid when preparing my dinner, nor farm work to keep my muscles toned, and of course, no family support around me. I worked two jobs to pay my tuition while carrying a full course load at the university. I slept only about four hours a night. At first I was fine. I managed a health food store and was quickly spotted for a television commercial promoting vitamins. The character I played was supposed to be so healthy because she took all of those vitamins. And in truth, I had never had a vitamin pill or supplement in my life. Only my mom's great cooking of organic, homegrown produce. As time went by and I moved to Europe to study, followed by a year at the University of California at Berkeley, my healthful eating habits deteriorated. I had so little money for food that I made poor choices and purchased items that were not necessarily good for me. Lots of sugary and fatty things interspersed with fast foods became the norm. A few years later, I paid for my poor college eating habits with severe hypoglycemia. I studied into the wee morning hours and sleep deprivation became the norm. I gained weight and I experimented with the current fad diets. The more I dieted, the more I gained, and the worse I looked and felt. Then one day, a light bulb went on in my head. I remembered the farm and my enormous appetite, my regular bedtimes, and the fact that I had never gained weight or been sick. I thought to myself, what if I return to my roots and start eating and sleeping the way I did while I was living on the farm? The inspiration worked, and I rebounded to my former health. Here's what I suggest you try. Stop dieting and start sleeping more. Sounds like a recipe for disaster? No, it's not, and here's why. 
The first few letters of the word diet spell the word die, and that doesn't bode well for living a long, healthy life. The people I know who diet consistently yo-yo in weight. They lose 20 pounds, keep it off for a few months, then quickly gain 25 pounds. The more diets they try, the more pounds they gain. And on and on and on, it goes like a merry-go-around. Although there's nothing merry about the discouraging situation. Because our metabolisms are slower when we're sleep-deprived, if we don't get enough Zs, we gain weight. Ghrelin is the hormone that signals when to eat, and leptin is the hormone that tells us to stop eating. When we don't sleep, we have more ghrelin and less leptin, which equals more weight gain. Is there a golden ticket to eating properly and sleeping sufficiently? Everyone is different and has to find her individual life balance. I'll share my prescription for success. Allow yourself to eat anything you want. Don't diet. Don't binge. Eat when you're hungry. Eat what you want, when you want. Serve yourself on a smaller plate. Eat slowly, savor each bite. Give yourself permission to do so without guilt. Don't deprive yourself of anything. Don't weigh yourself daily and don't make the mirror your enemy. Schedule seven to nine hours of sleep into each 24 hours. Love yourself the way you are. And once you allow to have anything you wish, you don't crave everything all the time. With adequate sleep, your metabolism will adjust to its ideal level and you'll have a healthy body once again. Eventually, you'll eat in moderation, consuming all those food items that are good for you, like grains, fresh fruits, and vegetables. The mirror becomes your friend when you decide that you're beautiful just the way you are. Eating well and sleeping soundly are only two slices of the wellness pie. To be effusively healthy, humans require exercise daily, sufficient sleep, stress reduction, joyful discoveries, and meaningful relationships. It helps to have a purpose, a passion, and a belief in a higher power. We also need to be diligent with scheduling medical checkups, screenings, and appropriate vaccinations. We can't stop the aging process, and we wouldn't want to, but we can be in touch with our own bodies and mindful of its needs. The leading causes of death in America are heart disease, cancer, AIDS, and alcoholism, followed by accidents, pulmonary disease, influenza, diabetes, and suicide. Poor diets, alcohol, drugs, and cigarettes are the main sources of abuse. Over and over, Americans choose profit over clean air and water, adequate exercise, reduced stress, sufficient sleep, nourishing foods, and personal relationships. If someone puts you in a high-stress funhouse room, deprived you of sleep and human contact, kept you from, kept you from moving about, and fed you only high-fat, high-salt fast foods, maybe even piping in noxious fumes, you'd feel mightily abused. Yet, so many Americans choose this life voluntarily. Yes, it is possible to be happy without help, but why wreck your health intentionally? Watch your diet, eat more fruits and vegetables, exercise regularly, sleep and rest, reduce stress, shun fast foods, laugh a lot, and love more. The Spanish proverb says, a man too busy to take care of his health is like a mechanic too busy to take care of his tools. 
your body is all of you got. So no replacements, no refunds. Take care of it. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today's show. Thanks for listening to Super Smart Sundays here on Express Yourself. And that was The Gift of Health by Cynthia Bryan. Please support Be The Star You Are and find information on our creative community, charity efforts, and outreach programs at bethestarur.org. Please consider a donation as it is a new year 2021. And you've been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. As always, we express our gratitude to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are, and our Voice America Empowerment crew, especially our voice engineer, Josh. And thanks to you, our guests for, from across the world. And a huge thank you to our listeners for making us a top-rated program. We wish you a very happy new year. Stay healthy, meditate, and de-stress. And always remember to speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself, produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars to shine between the lines if you would let yourself go.